This is Hanish Yadav. I am PGP 12 batch. I am currently an associate partner working out of the Delhi office at McKinsey and Company. I lead the logistics and supply chain service line for McKinsey in India. Um, I have been associated with this topic for almost 12 years now and worked across geographies and across many sectors. Uh, interestingly, I took a three-year hiatus and uh, I was working as the officer in special duty to the Union Minister of Railways uh, and the Union Minister of Commerce and Industry, uh, Sri Suresh Prabhu, um, uh, and took on various initiatives uh, uh, for uh, working for the government of India. Uh, welcome once again to this exciting new episode of Roll Call. Today, we have a very distinguished guest amongst us, um, a mechanical engineer and a doctorate from the Tibetan Indian Institute of Science. Um, he has been a pioneer in many, more than one way. Right? He served uh, at IMK uh, for more than 17 years in various leadership positions, including the Dean Academic. Uh, he is now one of the leading authorities on the topic of operations management and business strategy in the country. Uh, um, he has uh, written uh, and authored more than 30 um, uh, research papers, presented more than 200 of them across the world in various seminars and conferences. He's, re he's added another feather to his cap, and he's now working as the CEO of the startup mission uh, at, uh, for the Kerala government. Um, ladies and gentlemen, please welcome uh, Professor Saji Gopinath, who has kindly consented to join us for this episode. Good evening. Welcome, sir. How are you doing? Good, good. Thanks, Hanish. Okay. And uh, nice to meet all of you back after so many, so long. Yeah, it's a pleasure to have you, sir. Um, before we start, right, the objective of, of this is to make it fun and interactive. Uh, there are two broad topics we would talk about. We will talk about today on, on this, this whole pandemic uh, and its impact on supply chain. So we will take professors' views on, on how big is the impact, what should the companies be doing, um, uh, how does the outlook look like from here. The second topic that we are going to talk about is also considering his deep expertise and mentorship to various startups. So we will talk about his, his role in startups. And especially in these crises, uh, you know, what can these startups think of doing and how can they pivot themselves to make them more relevant and meaningful? Uh, we will have this discussion for about 30 minutes. And then uh, after that, uh, would love to take uh, questions uh, on your behalf. I would ask them to Professor Gopinath. So for, for the next 15 minutes, we'll make it interactive. We will take your questions and ask. So that's the next 45 minutes look like. Um, so let's get going, Professor. <laughs> so, sir, before we start on the topic of supply chains, um, the, the first question, the first question that, that I would love to hear your views on you know because of this pandemic the supply chains have been hit the hardest right it's it's most uncertain uh, they have seen complete disruptions and the disruption has come in a very short period of time now what actions do you suggest companies can take to deal with these shocks in the short term right it is almost in the immediate term we've almost two three months of this crisis what, what do you believe the company should be doing in the short term? Yeah, I think uh, uh, this is a time which is uh, uh, from a, uh, a supply chain academic uh, point of view is a uh, time where you no know, we a lot of uh, work is happening. A lot of people are actually looking at because it's, at the end it's a black swan event and you don't get such black swan events uh, uh, quite often. Now, having said that, in reality, like a practitioner like you will be having a bigger challenge when you are looking at uh, the reality. So I think uh, if you look at the the, uh, the start with the supply shock, I think uh, yeah. uh, with the China closing down sometime in uh, uh, nearer to the, uh, the Chinese New Year. But anyway, that was that was little anticipated because anyway, generally Chinese New Year, you have a, a shortage of uh, uh, material. So that was to some extent it has been managed. But then that supply shock continued and then now we face a demand shock. 
because uh, uh, from a supply shock we have moved to a demand shock where the demand is actually coming down and uh, and and also the bullweep effect which we used to speak about in uh, in the classroom is actually also yeah. becoming visible where people are actually holding things and uh, you know you have seen that in many part of the world so the, this all are actually uh, uh, being a part of uh, supply chain disruption now supply chain risk and failures are not new i mean i think after 911 quite a bit of work has been done on supply chain risk management etc but i think no company or no organization or no country was prepared for a, a, a black swan even like this that has actually created uh, issues i think in a short run uh, it's important for us to start looking at uh, how do you actually strengthen uh, uh, the internal uh, supply chain movements etc now the important thing is you have to divide this into two parts one is the supply chain of goods and the other thing is the supply chain of the services now goods supply chain to some extent we are able to uh, restore uh, in the recent past now you have seen uh, some of the airlines like emirates for example i was reading that their goods movement has actually gone up after uh, after this uh, pandemic during this pandemic now and one of the reason could be that uh, some of the earlier inefficiencies of uh, transit etc actually got changed so good movement actually getting restored but people movement and the the friction in the supply chain is actually increasing so for example you have a lot of restrictions across the world in opening factories you cannot really work at this level which it used to work you you cannot actually move people migrant laborers in different parts of the world cannot move so supply service risk is actually increasing service supply chain risk is going to be increased but to some extent if you note the the many of the supply chains are prepared for that to a large extent in the last few years you know, like somebody was uh, written recently that this change was happening and covid has accelerated it this is quite a bit of an automation which used to happen in the supply chain in the recent past and in the in the near future i think that is going to enhance substantially you know you have you will see additive manufacturing happening you will have more robotic process uh, processes automation happening in the ser service side and robots and uh, mechanized uh, ma uh, handling happening in the other side etc so since there is a demand shock and the, the demand shock is not going to go immediately after I, my feeling is that there is going to be a short term uh, stabilization going to happen in in maybe in one or two months time but a long term challenge is actually the ones which is going to be a big change because there are discussions about reshoring there is a discussion about high level of automation happening high level of change of the way some of the services maybe consulting for one example which was conventionally believed which cannot be done on an automated mode can actually may move into that uh, that level so some of these are going to be the ones which we need to interestingly watch in the long run no very very true right just to just to add professor right we've been doing some of our research ourselves uh, i think the supply chain of people is is quite a big issue um, you know uh, just to give you an example 50% of drivers in india come across 14 clusters across india just 14 Correct. clusters including namakal Ori et cetera, and uh, you know we were doing this uh, a week back, but uh, ten days back, six to seven of them are in red areas, where they have high inflation of COVID. So how how do they get back to just getting the trucks move right? Uh, and hence this this whole issue about supply chain of people. I think you make a very good point around that. Uh, I think on the actions also uh, completely agree. Um, you know that there are actions across three horizons. what do you do in the immediate terms which is what can you do to resolve i think companies are also thinking about how do you return to business because as people start to open warehouses they find laborers are not there and and fundamentally your last point about you know this is as winston churchill said right you it's it's stupid to make a crisis go waste but if you don't reimagine some of the operating models um, um, i think uh, uh, it would be it would be a waste for the companies having on this long term effect uh, professor my next question is 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 related to do you think this an event like this will fundamentally reshape the global value chains right and there was a lot of talk about india being a part of these global value chains um, and related question is do you think the countries would uh, would start a race almost to become more self reliant which could be catastrophic 
for uh, for the uh, for the global trade so uh, in fact uh, uh, i'll come to india uh, uh, later but coming back to the first question that whether the global value chains are going to change yeah. i think uh, there is going to be a fundamental shift in the global value chains and uh, uh, this is again happening for some time and the along with this we need to read the automation because automation is also coming in a big way in the industry 4.0 uh, world yeah. and uh, uh, many times people used to use manpower like human power primarily because it was easily available but now with the challenge of it is not there there's a shift to automation is going to happen you know many many of the warehouses have already moved substantially into into an automated systems and things like that so that is one side the second side is we also have a lot of inefficiencies in the supply chain even today not necessarily the the logistics part but you if you look at the uh, taxation part the rules and many of those things and us has seen that you know that some of the import tariffs etc actually hit them really hard at this time when you when they are looking at uh, medical import and things like that so this this sort of inefficiencies may change but one area i think which is going to become more significant is going to be peripheral the supply chain of perishable goods and the perishable goods supply chain is basically where i think at least in the short term there is going to be a strong emphasis on the self reliance now coming back to the second point you know and that is something which has been discussed today across the world that you know the chinese companies are moving out and whether india will catch a, a lion share of that and things like that while it looks very logical but it you require a very large ecosystem for doing that now if you look at electronics for example you know, we still don't have even a single fab in the country you don't have a, no you cannot really make it on a second day no you have don't have a component manufacturer in the country so you still have to start building many of these things if you really wanted to make it into self reliant and at the end it's also important that you also have uh, uh, your invent your uh, uh, cost of making the competitive advantage if your cost of storing inventory plus the delay in the supply chain is actually lesser than making it in your place then people will still depend on many other places only thing is rather than one single source people may look at multiple sources so yeah. so you in a in a in a supply chain jargon you will actually move even a functional product into a sort of a, a responsive supply chain so you ensure that you will have enough buffers built on the supply chain itself but if you if you play your cards right and if you can start looking at what actually are the basic fundamentals to create a, a, a vibrant industrial ecosystem here rather than only looking at the end of the value chain then maybe there is a chance of us uh, getting into that there are a lot of things have been done recently in the government you know that like we have improved our logistics infrastructure substantially we are start looking at investing in that these are all ones which are even gst for example is a very very important element to ensure that there is a seamless uh, uh, yeah. tax regime across the country all those things are the ones which may work favorably but still we may have to go a, a long yeah. way to make sure that we we competitive to attract more, many of the companies who are coming out of from uh, no, I, I i i want to dig deeper here professor because um, i was serving in the ministry of commerce and we struggled with this right we struggled with on how do you get foreign uh, investments into india right and hence my next question is considering considering at least there is a very active thought in many countries to move or de-risk themselves from china like japan has announced a 2.2 billion dollar fund just to help companies get out of china right i think what can india do what can the country do to be ready this time right we have not been able to uh make in india uh, uh, was launched but you know people still question its its real on ground impact uh what 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 are your top three suggestions for the for the country policy makers to to make sure that we attract that lion share of uh, manufacturing that is wanting to set up base I, you have worked with the government and i i am i'm also working now with the government and I, we are also trying to get investments and things like that but what we understand and i'm sure you will uh, you, you also realize this when you are working with us that see you have lot of inherent challenges even if uh, a, a government decides or even if a top executive decides when you put it in the field you have you have a n number of rules and regulations and unless you you work around that and in a democracy get, getting things done fast is so challenging 
no yeah. this is something which we have seen that right even if you are uh, looking at if you want to build something in a very short period of time you have hundreds of rules and regulations you have land uh, ceiling acts and land acquisition act and many of these things unless we make some fundamental change on that and put it in hold for some period of time we may not be able to quickly ramp up because at this point of time people are going to look at somebody who can give a plug and play facility somebody who can actually immediately move out and start that 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 quick movement so that your supply chain is not dis disturbed no if i if you look at an american company or an european company who is now sourcing from china if they want to move to india if it takes to two to three years to set up their uh, supply chain then they may not be interested they may be looking at maybe six months down the line or three months down the line so yeah. if you are able to provide that then we have an opportunity and that is something which if you look at uh, the concept of smart cities was actually for that yeah. the the whole concept of uh, the uh, make in india you have a concept known as new manufacturing technology zone nmts which not take off so they were exactly for that so those are the areas i think now we need to rethink and start looking at and if you really wanted to make the economy grow next level we really require to put investment in the infrastructure and this industrial cluster or industrial infrastructure where people can come and plug and play so we were talking to a very large uh, uh, company based out of china now it's not a chinese company but another company to move into our place so their point was that see when we move we actually want to bring a large number of supply chain companies along with us can you give them a plug and play space because for them setting up a full fledged facility by investing from the land and building itself is a big challenge so we still don't have in the country something like that so so it is easy to say but when you really go into the grassroots you have still have a challenge and interestingly these are all been planned some of them have not been translated into action which is i think something which uh, uh, at, at this time of covid collectively as a country we need to start looking at no absolutely as as we talk of uh, challenges uh, there is always a other side of the coin is the opportunity right and and this also gives me the right segue uh, into my into our next uh, uh, section which is about the startups right so uh, so seeing all these challenges uh, you know what how, how what are your suggestions on on the whole startup ecosystem right can is there an opportunity that is waiting to be captured because of this uh, do we uh, do, do we see something on the horizon that uh, that people uh, should solve for actively yeah i think uh, uh, again this is a trend which was happening through the uh, fourth industrial revolution itself that you know you have a lot of small companies doing uh, interesting work lot of innovation happening and then you have even large companies trying to collect them so you are you you there is a there is a theory which says that there is an organizational dissolution happening in the fourth industrial revolution you don't have very big organizations but even big organization will be set of small small organization coming together this was something which has been propounded uh, in the recent past so that actually been seen even in this context no see if you look at uh, this this platform which we use or zoom which is becoming very popular these are all platforms which have been generated by the startups startups smaller companies you know you have you have larger companies have got very sophisticated uh, communication platforms so people do not use them the growth happened in smaller startup uh, products as such and the, the agility is a very very key thing in this context you now sometime back i think uh, uh, i believe 2004 or 5 when after the supply chain risk there was a triple a supply chain was been proposed in uh, in uh, supply chain theory and very very key element of that is the agility and the agility comes when you are small and yeah. startups have got that they can adopt the technology very fast and they actually learn the 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 ropes of the fourth industrial revolution and the com combination of the technologies they come out with solutions and that those solutions are actually be able to support many of the quick demands which is happening And even in india for example many of the medical devices today many many of the immediate demand for the covid in many parts of india is naturally developed by startups it took bigger companies more time to respond to that but startups have actually come out with very interesting solutions as such so i think uh, as a country we have provided a light, right uh, impetus for the startups for the last few years we have uh, provided a good environment for startups at both the central level as well as at the state levels 
And that is actually now helping. In fact, for Kerala, in the COVID fight, we have used startups extensively, and many of them are actually supported us in the in in in, in with very interesting solutions at different point of time. You know, right from robotics to uh, communication tools, fake news uh, busters, and uh, UV uh, sanitizers, and many of the innovative products have come out from the the startup ecosystem per se. Yeah. Yeah. No, this is very interesting. I think it, it gave, it's very heartening to hear that it's not the doomsday for all, right? This is, uh, you know, a lot of startups are beginning to do well. That brings me to the next question, Professor, is in your role as the CEO of the startup mission, right? What are, what are some of the actions that, that you are driving uh, in this whole COVID context to uh, encourage uh, startups even more? So, okay, so we have a, uh, see, we, if you look at uh, the startups in India actually thrive around an industrial ecosystem. So you have the key ecosystems are Bangalore, Hyderabad, uh, NCR region and Mumbai. But after that, these tier two cities, which I call as Bharat startups, are the ones where we cater to. They look at more of uh, local problems and they look at uh, more of the problems of the region and things like that. So in that is, so those startups, we have close to around 2,500 uh, 3,000 startups, product startups in our, our space. So when, when this COVID strikes, we actually started looking at how do we actually ensure that the startup remain agile? Because if you look at the history, every pandemic, especially pandemic-based recession, you actually have a steep growth after that. You know, whether it is going to be a V model or U model, we don't know, but at least there is going to be a huge growth because it's not driven by an organization or a country, but it is driven by you know, external enemy. So fiscal yeah. spending will happen and growth happens. So yeah. the key element for any startup for that one, any company is to ensure that you keep afloat till this period is over, till the dip is yeah. reached. And then you have a growth path, which is in front of you. So how do you keep them afloat till that point of time was our first question. So what we have done is we try to answer two questions. How do I keep them afloat till that point of time? Second, how do I prepare them for the growth afterwards? So to keep them afloat, we approached by first cutting down all their costs to a large extent. So we, whomsoever working with us, we removed the rentals, uh, lease uh, lease rentals or uh, license fees, any of the loans which they have taken from us, we have given moratorium on repayment, waived off the interest and started connecting them with the, the, uh, the industries or the areas which is growing. For example, medical tech is something which is growing. So we have prompted them to come into because startups can quickly uh, pivot their products. So help them to pivot their products. And we have a nano startups who are actually been pivoted to create N95 masks. So, so you have a demand for that. And connecting with the government, which was which is active today, uh, they have several demands. So trying to put them into that because solution can come fast. So to some extent, helping them on the top line and trying to minimize their impact on the bottom line was our first portion. The second portion is that we try to help them with new skills and linking them with the businesses because today it's easy for them to connect to somebody else because everybody is locked down so it's easy to connect with uh, i know i i wouldn't have got a time from you for example like this for an hour if it was in a normal day right you would have been extremely busy so there are a lot of people like this who are now ready to spend time with the startups and also we we encourage them to connect with that that was the last month we tried to help them to prepare for the next level so they fine-tune their products they got input from global uh, CEOs and experts and other things. And many of them are now giving it free. Otherwise, it was very costly. The third thing which we have now done doing is we have also looked at uh, uh, helping them with investors. So the investor community also looks at which are the ones which have got a growth path. So investors also have a shortage of good startups to invest. So that connection is now happening. And the another thing which we found is that this is not only for startups the problem is. There is a problem for SMEs, especially in India. There is a problem for trade, commerce. And most of them have not looked at the digital wave yet. Yeah. So we are now connecting the startups with these companies who are facing problem and see how startup products can actually reduce their cost. How can actually they ride a digital wave to the next level? So that is what we are doing there. So in essence, there is a shortage of uh, business. There is a slowdown. We don't have, we have only around 15% of the startups who have actually had a 
it's closed down. We have 85% of the startups who are surviving. Not a single startup who is surviving has got any manpower. In fact, people have invested more, which are all very positive signs which we have seen in the last uh, two months. That's that's very very uh, heartening to know, right? That's that's very impressive. Uh, moving on, uh, uh, Professor, the uh, I would say that. Uh, you know, even coming back to our campus, right? Uh, many IMK alumni have become entrepreneurs, right? Uh, including in various interesting spaces. Uh, are there in, uh, any anybody or any startups or ideas in particular that you're most impressed by? Uh, which one of them are your favorites? So we have uh, we have a lot of uh, good startups, and uh, many of them have actually worked on areas which are, say, for example. Uh, uh, Ninja Kark is a classic example, right? Which actually worked on a problem which India is facing. And I think uh, the growth of Ninja Kark is a classic example of how this is going to uh, really help the farmers. Uh, and, uh, no, and creating a, a right marketplace for the thing asset. Because in the, in the days to come, I think this startup like this are going to be very, very relevant assets. So even IMK now now have an entrepreneurial ecosystem called Live, which you may be knowing, which actually has yes. come out with some interesting uh, startups. We have uh, a few of the uh, startups working with us, and we also see that IM alumni has actually set up a small fund also, which is also very good, uh, and uh, started investing on uh, the startup. So all these are actually very positive signs, and I always believe that. Uh, I don't know whether you have taken Professor Handa's class, but people who have gone through Professor Handa's yeah. class in the early years of IMK, invariably they will become entrepreneurs. <laughs> and that is what we have seen. No, no, this is uh, this is very Ninja Kart uh, is uh, one of the founders is a batchmate of ours, Thiru. No. Uh, so, so, so yeah, brilliant idea. I think a uh, great. Uh, a great example of creating both social and economic impact. Uh, right. uh, so that's why um, uh, very good. Uh, moving on, Professor, uh, you know, the other role that you do, you have also inspired many IMK alumni to join uh, the startup missions or serve as Kerala's chief minister's uh, ID fellows. How has been their impact, right? How, how, how have they been doing and uh, any inspiring stories there for all of us? Oh yeah, it's. I think uh, uh, we have. Uh, uh, I mean, I have. I have actually uh, four uh, alumni uh, working with me. Uh, three of them are uh, from PGP and one from IPGP, uh, and uh, two are in uh, working in Kerala uh, Chief Minister's Office, which also I, I, I was also instrumental in uh, uh, selecting them. So they have actually uh, contributed substantially to uh, the development. Uh, in, in both the both the cases, like uh, in fact, uh, Tom, for example, uh, while this uh, uh, this shutdown has happened, actually led a team and created a large number of medical related products, including a mechanical respirator, you know, something which uh, Mahindra has done, uh, his team has done in the fab lab, and now that has gone to a commercial production level. Uh, the Rohan is the one who actually drove the N95 mask project because N95 mask was in short supply and Kerala did not have even a single manufacturer of N95 mask. Today we have a one company which is completely came out of Rohan's work and today he makes 10,000 masks per day. So you have uh, and you have similarly they are looking at many of those aspects as such. But that is that's at the time of COVID but even before that uh, the amount of uh, professionalism they bring to the organization is very very uh, great and I think the Tom is one of the most popular uh, uh, officer uh, in the uh, in the in the startup mission. And uh, Pavitra, who's recently joined, has come out with uh, something which I think uh, is again I believe after post COVID it become going to be get accelerated is basically the gig economy. So she has come with the concept of uh, how do we bring women uh, through gig economy into the main mainstay. So you have a Kerala has got around 6.5 million women who are qualified but not employed or had taken a career break. So we are trying to bring them into the economy per se, which is a big task. So she's driving that. And uh, uh, Arun Balachandran from EPGP and uh, Prasad, uh, sorry, uh, Ajit Prasad, uh, which I think you are your batch or your senior batch. Yes. Uh, uh, they were actually working in the CM's office and you know, 
Kerala has never had a concept of uh, marketing uh, in the industry side. You know, we market yeah. tourism. So they were the ones, actually they are business uh, leaders for uh, Kerala. Like they basically friend-wise Kerala in, uh, with all business discussions and quite a bit of uh, uh, things have been actually driven by them. So you know, overall, I think the, the contribution IMK alumni has directly given, when there's a other, lot of others have also given into this directly with the government was phenomenal. And I think it, it brought a very different level of professionalism into the government. Very, very interesting, uh, Professor. Um, just keeping a watch on time, I think, uh, as said, right, we should move to the section where we give the opportunity to your beloved students also to ask some questions. And I'll, uh, you know, I'll, I'll probably ask them que questions on your, uh, on their behalf. Uh, so let's start. Um, um, Shashank Singh uh, is asking, Professor, Having worked with the Kerala government, do you agree with the premise that passing more powers to states can help solve some of the structural issues, infra, etc.? Uh, actually, uh, if you look at uh, the power, uh, power to the state, uh, uh, Kerala is one state where we have uh, very strongly implemented the three-tier government system. Uh, and one of the reasons why you know people speak about Kerala's uh, example of how we fought COVID is primarily because of that. So we are, our our uh, local self-government is very very powerful. Now I think what Shashank meant was sharing with the from the central government to the state. Now uh, infrastructure today is being managed substantially by the central government, and there are there are rules which may not actually be amenable to uh, common rules which may not be amenable to every state. Because a thickly populated state like Kerala has got a challenge of very wide roads, but that may not be the yeah. case in some other part of the India. So, putting that, so such such nuances of the thing is important for to be taken at the policy level, which actually can help infra development for sure. So, uh, but then uh, if if you it, it's also not only powers, it's also you require uh, funding, you require uh, uh, investment. Those support also have to come along with that. Yeah, but true. Uh, I think the point is very well because will taken because uh, each state has got its own constraints. You know, con a state like Goa has a very different constraint than what a, what maybe Bihar or uh, uh, Telangana has. So, so that sort of a uh, uh, local nuances may have to be taken care of in the planning process. True, true, very good. Moving on, uh, Sam Krishnan asked, uh, very pertinent, right? How would the modus operandi change for the startups or the ID conglomerates with this whole change in work culture, right? When people trying to work more from home, um, how would that change in investment in infrastructure, especially the commercial infrastructure? Uh, uh, do, do you perceive, uh, yeah. That's a good question, actually. In fact, uh, this is a point which we were also uh, uh, been uh, grappling with whether the industrial infrastructure, especially the techno parks and the large scale infrastructure which we have put, will that yeah. become relevant or not, uh, especially in the work from home culture. Even though the WFH is uh, I mean, relatively new, it has actually been practiced quite some time. No? Freelancing is actually becoming an order of the day for quite some time actually. So, yeah. but the trend becomes very active uh, in the recent past. And we have also seen the how we work uh, type of a model no? where you have a co-working space and people take the space in the shorter period of time is actually being uh, looked at. My only uh, uh, call on this is that we may not be, we may actually move to a system where infrastructure is not going to be uh, tied up with a particular organization. You may actually have uh, shared infrastructure. Yeah. So which is, yeah. which, is, which is needed because you can see today a large number of uh, companies and others are not able to get into quality infrastructure because it's been blocked. So in the post-COVID period, you still may have a few people who may work from for at least for meetings or something in, in, in physical space. Those may get used up as it. But this this trend of IT means real estate. I think that is going to change. That uh, obviously is uh, going to make a difference. But uh, some of the other things which uh, uh, a common place gives some of the advantages that may still may continue. And we are start looking at uh, and. The, another concept is that you are also going to have what is known as uh, kitchen centers or uh, uh, centers of large companies. You know, there are a lot of people from large companies who have moved to their native places. So I may be working in Oracle in, uh, in New Jersey. Now I have moved to India. I may not go back immediately. So I need a space of Oracle 
in yeah. in in this may not be my home because i may not be able to get the the the, the type of uh, facilities over there so such small kitchen spaces may happen and large infrastructure may change into that sort of small uh, uh, spaces as such but this is all crystal gazing we may have to yeah. you know my guess is as good as your guess no it's a pertinent question because while we serve a lot of companies i think this question about really uh, uh, evaluating the footprint in india right we when we talk about supply chain we always talk about the network footprint the warehouse what gst did um, i think it might be time where people would start to look at their physical footprint and say look do i need an office here do i need that office here can we actually ask these people to move on so i think that systematic uh, evaluation of your footprint uh, could happen for most of global companies uh, most of those global companies would 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 go back and start evaluating this on a on a large scale right correct if a, if a uber can actually be developed in a beach resort yeah. in uh, yeah. kerala it yeah. shows that you can you don't have to be linked to a particular yeah. place, any yeah. part of the world yeah no there is an interesting twist to this also professor gopina that we were hearing like even this work from home also works for uh, probably uh, senior management executive roles well but but most of the people in india because of the crunch that we have in spaces it's you know it's also a constraint that that the uh, that these companies have to take care of right people would not have uh, decent spaces to work and i read a bbc poll where uh, they said the stress levels have actually gone gone up uh, big, big, because people are finding it difficult to adjust to this culture you know the the, the whole stress of managing home etc so i think they are competing forces let's let's figure out uh, yeah but but i have a feeling that you may have you may see a lot of small spaces happening uh, in smaller locations no may not may not have this this people coming to one big location that may change because of yeah uh, but you will see people may move out of a home and working at smaller locations and also you know, we still have people who need to be supervised unfortunately right. not yeah. so so when you are unsupervised and autonomous model how do they work till the technology catch up with the right solution to that you may still have a, a challenge on that 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 coping up also will take a little bit of time Yeah. But it is, but no, Indians no. are fast adopters, which is which is something <laughs> which will uh, make us uh, work on this fast. Yeah. yeah, no, that's a great idea of saying rather than even complete the the you know the the, the middle path on this could be those kitchen spaces that that get mushroomed up. I I I think it's a great idea. Um, the next question is um, um, I think a couple of our colleagues are asking, but uh, Jyot uh, Talreja. and uh, both shonak ray a uh, question uh, or uh, uh, mukesh gurbani uh, uh, this is a question about clusters or industries for textiles and food right uh, um, uh, saying uh, what what should what should the government be doing we had these clusters on uh, food and textiles but they have not been uh, they have not uh grown uh, as as they should have right and and textiles especially uh being a very large uh a workforce or an employment generator for the country any suggestions at least on these two segments especially for smes etc what can the government be thinking about we we had actually uh, a few days back uh, I, uh, we had a discussion with a textile cluster uh, i mean we are one of the textile clusters and many of them are actually start looking at seriously on the medical textiles and they believe that this is not going to be a short term you know even in the long suddenly we found that india is one country where we actually don't use proper medical textiles for our uh, healthcare workers they basically use the normal thing and you know they, they don't use it at all I mean, they and the pp itself is a word which we came to know only very recently i mean that is become a common jargon only very recently but medical textile is an area where many of these can actually be pivoted on and people are actually start looking at when uh, Uh, honorable prime minister was saying that no when when the covid started two months back india did not make even a single unit of personal protection equipment today we make 2 lakh per day so that's a big change and many of these are textile companies and who have got uh, sophisticated facilities etc but yeah. uh, uh, having said that uh, this textile industry across the country has got different sets of challenges you have very well uh, developed clusters in some part 
not so well developed clusters in other parts people have got their own working capital challenges etc and this point that a large number of people have been employed both in the handloom and in the power loom sector is also a very important thing uh, but i think uh, uh, this is an area where uh, we may score over the china especially in this context because there is a story going on that uh, the wuhan virus moved to italy primarily through the textile yeah. supply chain right yeah. so yeah. so yeah. some of these are actually can can actually be a positive side for us and uh, the, and we still have a competitive advantage in the textile space with when some of the structural inefficiencies are going to get addressed but food processing sector is something i believe is going to be a big boost because perishable items are the ones where the supply chains are going to be much much sh- shorter there is going to be a high level of uh, reshoring which is going to happen and if you play on that sector well and, and in the, incidentally indian food food processing sector is one of the one of the good sectors it's not a, and you have very sophisticated players also in this in the space so that is something which we can actually be a driver for change in the days to come so see, yeah. uh, textile may have to do a pivoting but food is something which we may require and this is going to be having there is prediction of another thing which is coming right the the, the uh, your uh, uh, the the what do you call that the small weed or something is forgot the name uh, which actually going to destroy the crops etc so you have a, you have a challenge yeah. of the food uh, wastage which yeah. food yeah. is going to be a big thing so that th- yeah. those of things uh, so that sector uh, i believe is going to be a, a key element of the next no and and especially both for uh, um, i i think at least for food right agri uh, even supply chain is a great enabler to that sector uh, uh, because uh, agricultural logistics spend in india is about 60 billion dollars out of a total market of 220 billion dollars uh, 60 billion dollars on the agriculture and it's also the most fragmented sector yes. in india right? it's um, just because oh, i i'm talking even on the logistic side right uh, cold chains have not uh, none of in fact it's it's very interesting to know that hardly any cold chain company in india makes money right because they have not grown big um, uh, to, to, to give an interesting fact when i was in railways uh, you know railways had like just 20 reefer vans that's it that that was the total reefer vans capacity that they had at that point of time so so um, so you're right right i think from a supply chain angle also food processing as a sector has can can benefit a lot correct and i think th- this point is valid because if you look at uh, before the covid we were speaking about the 5 trillion economy now of course yeah. uh, if you look at that currently we were a 2.7 trillion economy also before the covid which means in 5 yeah. years we need to develop double yeah. and yeah. basic finance tells us that which means we need to grow at 14% per annum right because rule of 72 correct correct and correct we are growing at 3% or 4% so correct. when you want to move from 4% to 14% it can it can be done only if our rural agriculture sector is going into hugely and that's basically where the 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 food value chain has to be restructured because that's the only way we can actually make this 14% growth 14% growth is coming crazy growth that's hard no no never in any economy the agriculture has grown at 14% in any country ever precisely but but the good part is if you can even make our agriculture grow three times what currently we are doing we can actually reach closer to that because we have a large number there and yeah. and it also leads to rural spending which actually trigger the economy further so the focus on rural economy which actually our budget had in your bigger way to focus on the food is actually one of the areas which 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 i think even in the post covid time government have to focus on yeah no just to like agricultural supply chain is in is a topic which is close to my heart also right even if you look at exports right india being the uh, uh, the, the amount of uh, total area that gets sown in india but it's so inefficient that are even agricultural exports are pittance right uh, as compared to the total amount of import that even if you take any country like europe has uh, um, uh, so first of all and we we just we are not indians are not able to compete for couple of reasons first of all i think the economics but the secondly is 
is the awareness on standards how to grow to make sure that the food can be traced and the supply chain visibility can be created if we are able to do that then even the agri export sector uh, has a lot to offer right and the great yes. example is you you would show how how maharashtra grapes uh, uh, from nasik area which which actually get managed by a cooperative uh, are are one of the uh, one of the top uh, fruit exports from the country still All right so so um, hopefully hopefully this this uh, this will change uh, Professor Sajid, I, um, um, I think we should. Uh, uh, all of our audience uh, would would love to also hear about IMK. So I have a couple of questions uh, which will probably uh, take you back back to the campus. Uh, 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 thinking back, uh, Professor, which of these, which of your years, and you spent long seventeen years, right? Which of your years? or one year do you cherish most at imk and and if so why i mean i think uh, uh, i was there almost from the start if i remember i think the first class of imk i am amritsar has been taken by me uh, so uh, that was in uh, way back in 97 of course i did not join that day but i came as a uh, visiting faculty and uh, took the very first class with some preparatory maths you know Uh, but then uh, uh, I joined in 2000. I think that was a year which was uh, very uh, close to me because see, you become uh, you you actually be, uh, if you actually take a position right, uh, that's the year where you will become uh, you will be more close to the batch and and you know the the biggest yeah. is the placement chair. So we had a, a, a 2000 is a 2000 2000 on I was the placement chair and 2000 was a big change for IMK. because uh, we had a, a reasonably senior batch uh, people with uh, average experience of 5 or 6 years uh, at that point of time and we had a phenomenally great placements right because uh, and it was a first time in any iim in the country was trying to take a senior batch i mean generally people take uh, iims were taking people with uh, uh, very uh, one or uh, less than one year experience and i am tried with a uh, and that experiment really uh, played very well and uh, that batch uh, i was uh, I, mean, i think i was pretty close i knew almost everybody by very closely yeah. maybe first 10 batches everybody i have taught because you teach uh, operations or you teach yeah. or which is a core course so you have then the next batch i think which was uh, which which this year which was uh, interesting was the year of uh, 2008 9 uh, where i was a bgp chair and we have some very interesting and very challenging time i don't know whether uh, you did it from 2000 yes, yes. Uh, we were there from 2000 uh, and uh, 8 to 10 we passed out yeah, 8 to 9 was a year where uh, we have a big challenge that you know you increase the fee for yeah. a batch who joined in the previous year you, know, you cannot change yeah. the, you cannot change the game in between but and i think the batch responded extremely well i mean now you when you look back you, it's not great but at that point of time you know when suddenly you plan and suddenly in the middle you change it you have a challenge but then you have also other challenges there are some uh, uh, other external challenges were also there but that that was also very interesting uh, year but i think uh, 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 at that point of time maybe in my first stint which was basically from 2000 to 2008 then i left in 2009 i left for tapme so the first 9 years we were very small we had close to only 25 faculty we have a student group of less than 300 and when i came back it was become a very very big we have 450 students and then uh, i think now we have uh, we have sort of stabilized in that so then uh, we we start losing that one on one contact which you used to have when you are small but i think uh, as an institution uh, the initial years of an institution is always something which you cherish because yeah. you also see how it grows in front of you you see how people who have passed out actually go into the big places and making their mark it's all very happy moments for us yes no of course of course there must be um, um last question from my side uh, uh, professor i know we are running out of time but but i i have to ask you this question right you've seen many academic institutions uh, in your career right what 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 does uh, what makes imk special uh, or what about imk makes you so proud so instead i asked this question uh, to one of the recruiter 
uh, I think if I can remember sometime in 2005 or 6, uh, uh, I think it was Asian Paints because yeah. uh, they actually used to come uh, to our campus. Uh, yeah. So their answer was that we find a lot of grounded culture here. This was the answer. Uh, and I think that still remains. You know, like there is a yeah. there's a different culture in IMK which was not uh, there in many other uh, institutions. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, I think uh, uh, we never had, uh, uh, I think even today, I don't think anybody who came to IMK in whatever capacity, you know, as a, as a recruiter or as a MDP participant or anybody feels that you, know, you are overpowering or, you know, uh, they have been treated badly. So that, that culture is something which makes uh, IMK very, very uh, different. I think the, the, uh, the, uh, this is something which uh, started from the start and I, I, I think that is in the DNA of the institute itself, which actually makes it a very nice and interesting place. No, I, I completely agree with that. I uh, I think this whole humility, uh, grounded culture uh, is also something uh, that we have felt, right? Both in faculty, colleagues, everywhere. Uh, so that brings us uh, to the end of this program. Um, um, I would want to thank the audience uh, for their patient uh, hearing. I think we got a lot of questions. We couldn't ask all of you, uh, all of them to you because of constraints of time. Uh, but thank you once again, Professor, for taking out time. It was really very, uh, uh, very, very knowledgeable, interesting. Thank you so much. Thank you very much. And uh, we shall all be a very safe stay and uh, good health and be back to the work with uh, a lot of rigor in the very, very soon back. Okay. Thank you thank so you. much. Thanks. Thanks. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.